Olaita Jeremiah, and I'm a junior scientist at the University of Senior Science in Trinity College Dublin and Munich University. I'll be your host for this podcast alongside my colleague Claire Magog. Internationally, rare disease day is usually observed on the last day of February to raise awareness about rare diseases and foster an atmosphere of positive change in the lives of about 300 million people re- living with rare diseases worldwide and their families. Prader-Willi syndrome as a rare disease. According to the European Union, a disease is considered rare if it affects less than one in 2,000 within the general population. Prader-Willi syndrome, PWS, is one of the currently known 6,000 rare diseases globally. And in Ireland, approximately 150 people have been diagnosed with PWS with four to five new births every year. It affects multiple systems of the body and is often noticed shortly after birth from the characteristic infantile symptoms such as lethargy, floppiness, also known as low mosotone or hypotonia, weak suck and feed dif- feeding difficulties with restricted growth. Affected children usually have short stature and small genitals. They exhibit learning difficulties as well as developmental and behavioral problems. The classic symptoms of PWS are thought to be due to malfunction of a gland in the brain called hypothalamus, which regulates hormone secretions. The hypothalamus treats hormones, controls hunger, thirst, body temperature, mood, sex drive, and sleep. Hormones such as growth hormone that are secreted by other glands are also under the control of hypothalamus. A key symptom of PWS is insatiable appetite and overeating, which if left without intervention could lead to weight gain. In fact, PWS is known to be the leading cause of childhood obesity. Patients affected by severe obesity may be predisposed to sleep apnea, cardiac insufficiency, diabetes, and other related conditions that are associated with life-threatening complications. Claire will now speak about the cause of PWS. Thank you, Leighton. Um, hi, I'm Claire McGurk, and I'm a research assistant at Ulysses Neuroscience. Um, so what causes PWS? It's a rare genetic disorder caused by some abnormalities within a group of genes in a specific region of chromosome 15. This is called the Prader-Willi syndrome, Edelman syndrome region. The defective gene may originate from either parent and is usually caused by random errors during egg or sperm development, but it can also be inherited. PWS is associated with three genetic abnormalities. In about 60% of PWS cases, there is a deletion of the father's PWS AS region. In another 35% of cases, two copies of chromosome 15 are inherited from the mother, but no copy from the father. Then in less than 5% of cases, the father's chromosome 15 is present but doesn't function properly. This type can be inherited, unlike the first two types, which are usually due to random errors. Additionally, a minority of PWS patients are known to have another hereditary form caused by rearrangement and alterations in a specific group of chromosome 15 genes. There is currently no cure for PWS, but early diagnosis and treatment can help. Treatment is usually targeted at the specific symptoms manifested by each patient. Growth hormone can be recommended as it can not only increase height, but is also effective in, in increasing muscle mass, stamina, and improving bone health. Feeding and dietary management also help in controlling insatiable appetite and associated complications. Thank you, Claire. Today we have Iman Roritiani with us, whose son Henry has PWS, and they are also on the board of Pradawili Syndrome Association Ireland. Gary Brennan is the National Development Manager for PWSAI, who will be speaking with us during the second half of our podcast. Thank you all for joining us today. Could you tell us a little more about yourselves, Ima and Rory? Hi, um, well, I'm Rory and uh, our son Henry is now nine years old. So 
We've been uh, enthralled in the world of Pater Willie syndrome for almost 10 years now. Um, obviously, before Henry was born, I had never heard of the syndrome, which probably isn't unrealistic or un, uh, for most parents. Uh, Emma would have a science background, so uh, she would have a, a, a general knowledge of coming across Pater Willie syndrome previously. Yeah, no, I still remember when we got Henry's diagnosis and they said Prader-Willi syndrome and I just had this flash memory of a, a slide that was once put up on a screen in a lecture theatre about Prader-Willi syndrome and just the bit that always I remember is the uncontrollable hunger, the hyperphagia um, and that was all I could bring to mind when we got Henry's diagnosis but um, yeah, you know, I guess having a kid with Prader-Willi syndrome has its highs and lows and um, we've you know Henry is fantastic he's he's a brilliant he's a brilliant kid he's great company but because of PWS I guess our lives can be quite restricted at times and challenging at times and then also we can have really great times too um but yeah PWS adds a, a layer of um I guess anxiety for us for us all not just for Henry thank you very much Rory. Um, could you please tell us what it's like to be a parent of someone living with PWS? I know you touched on that a little bit, but maybe you kind of expand it a little more. I suppose um, if you started, the, as you said, the, the main symptom of Prader-Willi syndrome of the uncontrollable hunger, uh, that's not normal in any household, but it's become our normal. And when we kind of look at our house, you know, from the outside, the, the way we de the way we manage our, our lives day to day are really uh, different to everybody else. You know, we we have our cupboards locked. Uh, we have to have routines for Henry all the time. We have to have meals at specific times. We can't miss a meal. We can't delay a meal because uh, the anxiety uh, in him would be quite strong. And also, uh, obviously, the drive to um, to eat. But also, he needs to have a trust in us as his parents that we will protect him and look after him in that sense. I suppose the other driver in our household will be the exercise. So, obviously, because Henry is on a lower uh, calories um, to a child of the same age because of uh, Prader-Willi syndrome, he also has low muscle tone. So, we would try to do exercise with Henry every single day. Uh, for two reasons. One, obviously, to keep his, you know, to keep his his weight in check and managed, uh, but also because of the routine uh, of Prader-Willi syndrome, we need to get him into that routine for like teenage years and adulthood so that he knows exercise is a really important part of his life uh, and really healthy for him. Yeah, and I guess with Henry, we noticed that, you know, our line in our house, with if Henry's anxiety is increasing is, oh, goodness, quick motion changes the emotion. So if we get him outside, we get him walking, we get him cycling, or if it's a rainy day and he's inside doing his yoga, it automatically just makes him feel better. Like it would make any of us feel better. Um, and I also, I think with Henry, like our lives are, are very routine based. We can't be very flexible. Um, you know, just the other day I was driving home from town with the, with the two boys in the back and I thought, you know, it was coming up to snack time and I thought, oh, maybe we could go to the park. And then I was, you know, I was thinking, oh, you know, I, actually I don't have Henry's snack and I know he wants to do A, B, C and D when we get home. And I, I made the decision just to go home because being flexible with Henry and throwing something into his day that he's not prepared for can just create a lot of stress for him. Um, so it's hard for us to be spontaneous as a family. I think, um, you know, Henry is, is crippled by anxiety every day of his life, possibly due to the uncontrollable hunger, which we can't say we understand. Uh, if you were feeling hungry every minute of your day, 
I'm sure you would have levels of anxiety relating to that and obviously frustration and anger. But, uh, you know, I suppose Professor Tony Holland describes the anxiety and, and, and how Henry feels, I suppose, as a constant state of uncertainty. And once I heard that, uh, it kind of really, you know, I could totally relate to it. Like Henry doesn't see the world in the same way we do. He doesn't uh, see um, societal cues in the same way we do. He wouldn't, you know, he would have to be encouraged to say goodbye to people at the end of a conversation. Uh, he might not think to say hello at the start of a conversation. There's lots of things in that um, relating obviously to the anxiety. And then there's another part where it's like unexpected changes can throw him into uh, meltdowns or uncertainty and just uncontrollable uh, crying. Uh, you know, he, he, it's like there's somebody else controlling him. Obviously, it's Prader-Willi syndrome, but he doesn't know why he's doing it and he can't come out of it. And then another element of, you know, what it's like living with Henry is repetitive questioning. So we get repetitive questioning from Henry on every topic all the time. And it's, I suppose it's for Henry to be reassured. So, uh, you know, I suppose Emma will tell the story about horse riding every Saturday morning. Yeah, so Henry horse rides every Saturday and we come home and he has his snack and that is the routine. And then he goes off and he does a play. But every single Saturday for, I don't know how many years, every Saturday after snack, just before he goes off, he says, now, mum, don't forget about making lunch. And I always reply to him with a bit of humour. I'm like, Henry, have I ever forgotten about lunch? And he'll be like, well, no, mum, but just in case. And that's our life. Like every day we're reminded about every meal, even though he's always had every meal. We've never forgotten to give him a meal, but he's always just thinking, oh, goodness, you know, will they forget today? Will I not get my snack? Will I not get my dinner? Um, and it's so it's it's con it's it's hard to describe unless you live with someone with Prada release number, but it's just constant thinking about the what ifs, what could happen, will I get to eat? Um, is the plan going to change? Are people going to call in and then things might have to change? And um, so Henry is he's very stuck in his routine, but his routine also keeps him happy. Um, so like, for example, like every Friday, he watches a movie in the afternoon and that's his routine. So if people were to call over, you know, we'd always say, you know, like Henry will, if you call over at three o'clock, Henry's watching his movie then and um, he'll see you at the end of the movie. But that's his time. And he's worked so hard in school all week. And that's his rewards and his special time. So it's it's not something we can ever take away from him. And um, so it's sometimes it's hard with people because, you know, they're like, oh, is Henry, you know, is he going to come and say hi? And we're like, oh, well, he will when the movie is over, because that's his special solo time. And it's very important to him. And if we were to switch that up the following Friday, he'd be a bit stressed out about whether someone would call in. Am I going to get my movie? Um, so that's it's constantly living in a state of what ifs and anxiety. And as parents, we try to keep his anxiety at a base level for Henry, um, which is, you know, helps our day to day living, I guess. And then I suppose there are other elements, I suppose, the operational stuff that Henry has a growth and hormone injection every night before bed. Uh, luckily for us, he's very good with it and it's, there's no problem giving it to him. Uh, and then, you know, for he's just come off it recently, but Henry was on a wore a CPAP mask for uh, probably five or six years. He's just come off in the last year. Uh, obviously, at the start, trying to get a, a three year old child to wear a mask every night uh, was a challenge because it was a massive change. And then on the flip side of that, trying to explain to Henry that he didn't have to wear his mask anymore um, at, at the age of nine uh, was as much of a challenge because he 
he, he said he couldn't sleep without it because he'd become so routine in his life. And then there's also the element of like skin and nail picking, uh, which is obviously related to anxiety through frustration or boredom in some way. So I suppose uh, that's kind of a quick stop run of what it's like living with someone uh, like our son. We can't describe what it's going to be like in the future because we don't know yet. But it's different for every child with Potter-Willi syndrome, given that it's a spectrum disorder. Thank you very much. That's a very good um, like breakdown of what it's like to be a parent. So um, when and how did you find out about Aramis PWS, that is in terms of diagnosis? Yeah, so Henry, Henry was he was a normal pregnancy um, and he was he was born by cesarean section. And within about an hour of him being in the world, a nurse happened to um, check him and noticed that he had very low muscle tone. So he was whisked off to the neonatal care unit and um, a huge amount of tests were carried out on him. And they asked us actually if we wanted to know you know, the names of the tests, but we both decided no, because we just spend our time Googling everything. So we didn't want to know until we had a definite answer. Um, so Henry was two weeks old when we got the diagnosis of Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, and Henry was our first baby. So, you know, it came as a huge shock because you can never, you could never prepare yourself for, for hearing a diagnosis. And um, I guess when you're, when you're pregnant, you're just hoping for, you know, the best case. Um, and, you know, you kind of go through a huge amount of emotions and those emotions, you know, they can last for a very long time. You're, you're circling through, you know, disbelief and anger and eventually you do get to acceptance. But, you know, I think from meeting with other families who have kids and adults with Prader-Willi syndrome, I think that is what gave us hope. So when Henry was about um, a year, you know, maybe 10 months old, we started to link with the, with the association and we would have met our first other people with Prader-Willi syndrome when he was about one. And that definitely gave us a lot of hope for the future. Um, yeah. I suppose the problem is that not a lot has changed in the last 10 years between our diagnosis and uh, how diagnoses are done now. Uh, not how the diagnosis is done, but... Uh, in the way I suppose that they're delivered because it's still such a rare syndrome. Uh, not everybody knows about it and, and definitely not people in maternity hospitals because they're, you know, the doctor, the, the registrar that told us had never experienced it before. Um, there was a professor in the hospital that was aware of it and kind of had clinically diagnosed it without telling us previously. Uh, but it, it, it's so rare and it's so hard for new parents when the doctor can't even be 100% sure of what it is and can't even give you 100% sure of you know, what to do. And that's a, that's a big frustration and, and something we're working in the association um, that Gary will speak a little bit further later on. That's really shocking that um, not much has changed within the last 10 years um, in terms of like um, doctor's awareness of PWS. It's really yeah. shocking. Yeah, no, not, not at all. Like we were handed a sheet of paper with a link to a medical journal and that's not what you re want to read uh, when you have a teeny tiny little baby with this strange syndrome um, so you know the association have put a huge amount of work into their new diagnosis section on the website so we do hope that more new families find that first there's a beautiful gallery of hope that shows like loads of kids and adults with Prader-Willi syndrome doing things that when we got the diagnosis for Henry we would never have imagined him doing it I know there's a photo of him swimming off uh, Black Rock and Salt Hill 
And, you know, if somebody had told me when Henry was a baby that he'd be able to do that, like, I would never have believed it, but it would have given me such hope um, because he is, he's, he, he's achieved so much in just the 10 years. Like he's, he's pretty extraordinary. It, it's so hard to imagine in those moments, like we had a um, kind of an early intervention uh, home teacher that came to our school when Henry, or came to our home when Henry was only maybe three or four months old, just to support us with like tummy time and, and things like that. And she asked us what, where we saw Henry in five or 10 years. And, you know, whether I admitted it out loud or not, how I imagined him was still lying on that floor, unable to lift him, his body off the ground and having to turn his head from side to side, which, as it turns out, wasn't realistic at all. But I was given no other hope and I, and I had nothing to look forward to. Uh, not knowing any, any other families with Prader-Willi syndrome, given that it's so rare uh, and, and not really knowing where to go. So hopefully uh, the association have improved that for new families now that there is somewhere to go and you can see a future that's a little bit brighter. It's, it's a really great website. I was reading some of the stories and they're, they're really, really great. Um, and then also, um, how have your, how's your family life and relationships um, been affected by the diagnosis? And then also um, with your other son? I suppose uh, family life is not normal, but... Uh, for us, Henry's our first child, so it became our normal, and now it's becoming Billy's normal. But it's not normal at all. Uh, we know no different. You know, like having locks on your cupboards and having strict meal times, and you know, not being able to be spontaneous uh, and kind of having to think about Henry in everything you do, in the sense of like, you know, we're going to turn off a movie early because we need to go somewhere. That option is not there to us. Uh, and you have to tread very carefully in all those things. So I suppose there is just that restrictive uh, thinking and the, the unexpected change and all that stuff has, has restricted our family. We, you know, it's not, for an example, I suppose, it's not just as simple as getting a babysitter. We, we've never done that. And, you know, currently we can't because where you might say to a babysitter, the babies are in bed or the kids are in bed and we'll be back in a few hours. We can't do that with Henry because we don't know. Obviously he'll be on have anxiety about who's in the house and why they're there where we're gone and when we'll be back and he'll be asking them all that questions and he probably won't sleep uh, if we do leave Henry with someone who is generally you know our close family uh, grandparents or, or aunts or whatever uh, even if it's just for an overnight they're left with a strict set of instructions and personally that that's not just for us to be happy that Henry's safe Henry wants to know what the instructions are he wants to know that they know what time his meals will be at if we go to stay in a hotel or we go to a wedding or something or, or, or we're going to someone else's house, he said, will they have food? And it, obviously that's realistic to all of us that, yes, if you go to someone's house for dinner, they will have food, but not to Henry. He needs to double check all those things. So I suppose, uh, you know, he, he's crippled by anxiety in all those situations. And we as his parents and advocates have to kind of, you know, treat that and our family life is not normal because of it yeah i guess we're we're hyper vigilant on food security and food security for us is you know that if henry visits the place and myself and rory walk in you know we'll scan a room to make sure okay there's a fruit bowl okay you know those cupboards you know they look fairly accessible for food or you know if there's other kids around um you know kids always have random bits of food in different rooms and things so we're, we're really hyper vigilant on food security, but then we need to be because food security for Henry as well is to make sure that he's secure, he's happy in his own self. And um, so, you know, even if we're if we're invited to a family event or something, you know, 
it, it was a bit awkward at the beginning when you'd be texting somebody going, oh, can we have your menu, please? We need to make sure that there's something right for Henry. And if it's going to be buffet style, buffet style for Henry causes him a lot of stress because people are coming and going all the time and there's food all the time, just everywhere. Um, and I guess as, as you know, as well as being, you know, you noticed food everywhere um, and you know I guess Henry has anxiety about food but we also have anxiety about food so say like we love eating out and Henry loves going to a restaurant but when his portion comes down you know Rory will have to generally divide it in two we might bring his own plate from home which is a smaller size so there's always things that we're always thinking about and Prader-Willi syndrome is really tricky to get your head around. So as a, you know, we're really lucky. Our, our friends and family are super supportive. They get on board with all our rules when it comes to Henry. But like, you know, they every now and then they might say, oh, could he not just have an apple? You know, it's healthy. And it, yes, it is healthy. But for Henry, if you're that person who gives him food, even if it's something healthy, whenever he sees you, he'll always be thinking, oh, will that person give me something again? And um, so there's Trust. He, there's he needs to know. So if he is being minded by by grannies or aunties, we actually write down everything so that Henry knows there's going to be no thing extra. Whoever's minding him knows that this is it. And for us, it's so important to have that trust in our family and friends to keep Henry healthy and happy and safe, because it's so it's just so important for him too. I suppose from from a sibling point of view, obviously Billy is only two, so he hasn't uh, it hasn't really impacted his life as yet. Uh, it's probably different for parents who have uh, Prater Willie children as not their oldest child, where they have to change their household and explain it to older children. Uh, and the older could be three, four, or five years of age about you know uh, healthy eating and all that. But I suppose when we kind of look to the future, we don't want Henry to be a burden on Billy. You know, he potentially could be his future carer. You know, we're we're not going to last forever um, and there are challenges we haven't experienced yet. And I suppose from speaking to other parents, uh, the impact on siblings would be that siblings would be reluctant to bring their friends home because there's like, you know, perceived restrictions in the house with like, you know, that's the house where the kitchen is locked. Uh, you know, there may be meltdowns in the house, you know, that that can only be embarrassing for siblings, uh, especially when they get to the, the teenage years. Uh, and then I suppose, you know, how Henry acts in public, uh, it can be embarrassing for us, but we're learning to live with it. And, you know, it is him, but it's still a challenge because we're only 10 years in. But, you know, how Henry or how Billy will feel about that, uh, because we don't want his life to be impacted by Prader Willi syndrome. It is going to be impacted in, 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 in a big way, but we need to do as much as we can to, you know, limit that. And I suppose a little bit of that is kind of given us and Billy some respite from Henry, you know, taking some time away. We did it, we got a trip away last summer. Yeah, so in the last two years, we've had two nights that haven't had, I don't like to say without Henry, because it's more a break from Prader-Willi syndrome, because Henry's fantastic. But, um, so we had we had, we had a night, two nights free, and uh, we went hiking a mountain that Henry would never have, have been able to scale, but we went to a restaurant after it, and um, it was really busy, and, we ordered and it was probably a 20, 25 minute wait then for the food to come out. So even though Henry wasn't there, myself and Rory were still really anxious because, oh goodness, what would happen if Henry was in this situation and the meal was delayed? 
Um, and so Billy was grand, like he, he, you can ply him with rice cakes and things and he not a bother on him. But if Henry had been there, it would have been a completely different situation. We would have been really stressed. One of us would have had to have taken him for a walk and come back and be checking in whether the food was there. So there's, you know, it is nice sometimes just to have uh, a little yeah. break from the restrictions of Prader-Willi syndrome. So I guess that's why, um, you know, we've we just heard that there's been approval for a respite house. And we've been, it's something we've been talking, kind of planting the seeds of thought with Henry um, about whether it's something he'd be ever interested in going to. Um, so he actually on Christmas Day asked us, you know, Mum, is that house, is that house for kids with Prader Willie up and running at? Because I'd love to have a stay with my friends, which was lovely for us to hear because I think it will be a really, really special place for him to go to yeah. and hang with his with his friends because there's a beautiful connection between people with Prader-Willi syndrome. They totally get each other. They understand each other. It's really, um, it's really heartwarming, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose just going back to the uh, our unhealthy relationship with food as parents and, you know, probably Billy as he grows older as well. You know, when we went to the uh, international conference in Canada uh, in 2016, we stayed with uh, some of Emma's relatives and uh, they produced a Mickey Mouse plate and they said, we have a new plate for Henry to use. And because of my anxiety around Prader-Willi syndrome, Henry was only four at the time. And I said, no, we have our own plate for Henry. And there was nothing wrong with a Mickey Mouse plate for Henry, but it just kind of describes, you know, our feelings and our trying to overprotect something that trying to control everything, even though it, it, it doesn't, it didn't hurt anyone. Uh, possibly hurt the people, hurt the people, you know, me being over the top about a plate. But you know, it's just the relationship to food and the relationship to anxiety has just changed living with Prader-Willi syndrome. Thank you so very much. That's very educative and like an eye opener. So, what do you think of current management for PWS? And maybe you also tell us about the most common misconception that is associated with this disorder. I suppose it's always going to be a challenge with a rare disease, but but I think that you know. There's less awareness in society and there's less awareness in medically. Um, you know, food elements are everywhere and we can't control that. But at the same time, it's really hard for us to explain it to people. So I suppose if I'm to bring in the bit about the misconception, uh, one thing that will come up there when you're trying to explain to people about the uncontrollable drive to eat, you know, some people have said stuff like, oh, I think I might have a touch of that myself. And like, that's obviously massively ignorant and insulting to us. But at the same time, I can see how they how they think because nobody feels or understands the way some of Prader Willi syndrome feels. There are multidisciplinary teams, but they're not available to all, and they're not available to all cohorts. So we are very lucky in Galway that we have uh, obviously the team in Tala that uh, look after Henry through dietitian and dentist and uh, physio and all them other terms. We meet them twice a year, and then in Galway we have uh, a physio and speech and language and psychologist and all that here. But not every area in Ireland would have the same. Uh, when Henry was preschool, uh, we went through like three or four physios within one year. So you were explaining to each physio about Prader-Willi syndrome and about low muscle tone, and but then they had moved on. So them challenges are all there. And I suppose the medical awareness is, is one that's really hard. Um, you know, when Henry was only five months old on Christmas Eve, we went to... Uh, he had respiratory problems and we ended up going to, to um, casualty. And we were trying to explain to the doctor about Prader-Willi syndrome. We were totally new to Prader-Willi syndrome. We'd only had five months of it. So as far as we were concerned, it was, a, it was you know, his respiratory problems were a driver from the syndrome. 
And when the doctor went out of the uh, cubicle, we could hear him ask, tell another doctor that he was going to have to Google product release syndrome because he didn't know what it was. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's heartbreaking. But at the same time, it's totally realistic in that there is only 120 to 150 people with product release syndrome in Ireland. So, uh, you know, doctors learn every single thing about every ran, uh, rare syndrome, but they don't get to practice it enough. So uh, I suppose we, the current management is good when you get into it, but it's just the overall awareness. Uh, how do we get there? Yeah, and I guess I do remember um, Henry was in for a sleep test. I'd say he was maybe five or six. So the doctor checking him in wasn't part of his Prader release syndrome team. So she was reading his file and she threw out the line, how does he have Prader release syndrome? He's not obese. Um, so Henry was sitting there and I, I don't like to talk about Henry when Henry's there. Uh, but I often wish I could go back to that doctor and say, well, you know, things have changed so much in recent years. And Henry works so hard with his food management and his exercise. And he was only he was only a little fella at that stage. But, I, you know, it's still a line that I, I still really remember. Um, my favorite sort of anybody in the medic field, medical field or therapeutic field, if we ever meet somebody new, my favorite sort of person is the person who's honest up front and tells us, you know, lovely to meet Henry, but actually I don't know much about Prader-Willi syndrome. Because um, I think that is the best way to be. And then we can point them in the right direction. We can point them towards Gary. We can educate them an awful lot ourselves. We can, you know, send them off to multiple amount of websites. Because I think, you know, it is a rare condition you're not, not everybody's going to have come across it. So I think really importantly, it's so important to get the right information right from the beginning. And, for, and it's best for the child and adults with Prader really. I suppose some other misconceptions would be like that all healthy food is okay for Prader, people with Prader-Willi syndrome to eat. But you know, it's so much about uh, the, the amount of food. And it is, they, people with Prader-Willi syndrome have less calories than uh, someone of the same age. Uh, so, you know, that's not that simple. It's, kind of, it, it, it's not realistic to say that Henry eats brown pasta so he can eat as much brown pasta as he likes because he can't burn it off. Uh, I suppose the whole thing is a vicious circle and we would have experienced it a lot when we, when we talked to people about Prader-Willi syndrome and when we talked to obviously our families when, when Henry was born and when we got his diagnosis where we say he can't eat uh, a lot of food and then people say, well, can he not just exercise more to burn off the calories? But then you have the issue where he has low tone and low energy, all symptoms of Prader-Willi syndrome. So no, he can't eat more and it's really hard to exercise. So you come back to full circle where he's only building fat mass and it's so hard for him to build muscle mass. And then you put growth hormone treatment into that because his body can't produce that. So I don't know if it's a common misconception or it's just something that people uh, that don't understand Prader-Willi syndrome. And it's a total logical argument that if, you feel like you have to eat too much, you should exercise more, but it's not realistic. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think a lot of people have a lot of questions about um, this syndrome. And I think you've cleared up like a lot of um, questions that people have and misunderstandings. Um, and then in terms, of, in terms of treatments, what are all the treatment options? Uh, so Henry has growth hormone treatment. So he, like Henry, I guess, is late, was late to the game with growth hormone treatment. They start babies now much younger. So he didn't get to start that till he was three. Um, so growth hormone has definitely made a massive change to Henry. It was, it, you know, when you look at a photo of him a year between, you can see his body physique changed. You know, you can see the muscle in him. Um, 
So that's one thing. Henry had sleep apnea, so he had a CPAP machine for many years. But I guess the most important thing with the treatment of PW is, you know, good food management, good food security. Um, and then we are we're really fortunate between Tala and Henry's Enable Ireland team that he's linked with two really good psychologists that have given us so much really great information in just managing day-to-day -day life. Um, you know, all those things with unexpected changes, trying to introduce flexibility. Um, and then again, within the association, they've hosted um, kind of the Living with Prader-Willi Syndrome workshop. So again, it's all that, you know, how to set up, I guess, for a success, um, you know, what, how to make things work in your family that will, you know, help your child reach their maximum potential. I think that's, you know, the most important thing. Like Henry, if you were to look at Henry, you'd think he was a really healthy nine-year-old kid. Um, he's really happy. He, he has loads of interests and activities. He gets on really well in school. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, it's been a challenge even with school, um, you know, because there's an awful lot of, to learn even from an education side of things. But Henry is really fortunate. He's a really great school team. And he loves it. There's also like other, because it's a spectrum disorder, there's other elements of Carter-Willi syndrome that don't affect Henry. And we're lucky because of that. So Henry's never had issues with scoliosis. And for families that do have to deal with scoliosis, it, it can be really hard because there's obviously delays in scoliosis, uh, many operations for young children and, and obviously into teens and adulthood that are, uh, you know, quite debilitating in the sense of, you know, uh, how long the operation takes and, you know, you can have, you know, rods inserted into your back and, and how to manage all that and then missing school and, you know, obviously the changes and the damage to routine and not being able to exercise and move. So there's a whole new world outside of our lives that luckily we haven't had the experience. And then there's the whole element of mental health and Prader-Willi syndrome, which is obviously huge and, you know, increases into, uh, you know, teenage years and then into adulthood, that transition into adulthood and independence. The food element of Prader-Willi syndrome is probably the easier one to deal with once you get your head around it. But in saying that, it's easy to deal with in your own home because parents can deal with it. But when the child or young adult uh, moves out into, say, residential care or even into, you know, daycare, uh, where there's shops near, near the daycare centers and all that, there's an awful lot of awareness and training that needs to be done for those people to understand the impact of food and obviously the impact of mental health on uh, the person with Prader-Willi syndrome. Thank you, Emma and Rory, um, for sharing so much with us. I've had so many questions myself and you've answered like so many of them. Um, and then we'll move on to Gary um, for, for to talk about the supports for those with Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, so Gary, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, uh, my name's Gary Brennan. And since May 2019, I've been the National Development Manager for Prader-Willi Syndrome Association of Ireland. It's a full-time role. It's funded by the HSE, and uh, I suppose the remit of the role was or is to develop awareness of Prader-Willi syndrome uh, across a number of different stakeholder uh, groups, uh, including clinicians, uh, service providers, schools, uh, and uh, that that I suppose takes up quite a bit of the of the role. But the most important part of the role, I suppose, for me is in terms of advocacy. So supporting families to access services, uh, supporting families in terms of contact with, with CHO disability offices, and sometimes even just, you know, picking up the phone and, and, and having a chat with, 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 with a family member. Um, and I suppose this year then we're, we're also going to look at, at having some direct advocacy with, with the group of individuals with Prader-Willi syndrome. 
uh, to see you know how they want us to support them um, and then are there any other associations or communities um worldwide what are all the associations and supports for those with PWS and uh, yeah I, I suppose I'm glad you used the word community um our association PWSAI was was set up in the late 1980s as a support group for for individuals with Prader Willie syndrome and um, we became a registered charity then in, in 2002 and we support around 125 families and um, there's around 100 between 150 and 160 people diagnosed with PWS currently in Ireland and um, we, we identify ourselves as a community of families with a common challenge and a common bond. Uh, we connect with families, professionals, researchers, both at home and abroad, um, to share ideas, knowledge, and knowledge about how best to live with Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, our mission, I suppose, is to raise awareness and understanding of Prader-Willi syndrome and improve the choice and quality of care, education and support for people with Prader-Willi syndrome. And we do this, I suppose, in a number of different ways. Uh, we currently collaborate with the HSE and, and the National Clinical Programme for People with Disabilities to develop a model of care for Prader-Willi syndrome in Ireland. As Emma mentioned, we have in the past and, and this year have planned to deliver family workshops on living with Prader-Willi syndrome across the different age groups. Uh, we also have been lucky enough to be uh, to, to have bid for and been awarded the, the IPSO Conference um, Global Conference in, in 2022, and that will take place in July in Limerick. Um, and I suppose other areas in terms of, of developing research and supporting research into Prader-Willi syndrome in Ireland. The, the groups, I suppose, that we'd be very much linked in with that, uh, that we have collaborative links, links with would be the International Prader-Willi Syndrome Organisation. So they're the, the global organisation to support people and families with PWS. Um, and we have also collaborated with PWSA UK in terms of, of the, the, the awareness training and the training we deliver. Um, but I suppose within the country, then we we we've close links with organisations like the 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 DFI, uh, Rare Diseases Ireland, um, and the HSE, and as I said, the NCPPD. Thank you very much, Gary. So you mentioned collaboration with um, HSE and also UK. So does it mean you receive support from the governments? Yes, um, going back to about 2015 and, and at the request of, of the current Minister for Health at that time, um, we established a, a collaboration national work, a collaborative national working group with the HSE uh, to develop, implement and test positive models of intervention and practice in, to support people with Prader-Willi syndrome and their families. Uh, the working group brought together parents in collaboration with those professionals, both national and international, in order to lead and drive agreed work programs. And um, from there, we were linked into the NCPPD. So the NCPPD was established in, in 2019 uh, to address specific issues within the disability sector and to, to I suppose, ensure that there's a comprehensive and, and multi-perspective approach to, to uh, specific uh, conditions or syndromes like Prader-Willi syndrome and um, so we're working with them currently to uh, I suppose to, to push out our, our re the recommendations from our from our national report um, and one of those I suppose one of those successes was the the approval of funding um, for our national respite center and um, which we will hope will open in in 2022 um, or early 2023 and which will be a huge support to people with PWS and their families. Thank you very much. It's good to know that at least there are supports from the government. So could you tell us a bit more about the support for those with a new diagnosis of PWS? 
Yeah, Emma mentioned earlier on that, you know, infants with PWS present with, with hypotonia and delayed milestones, uh, or, uh, intensive multidisciplinary. So intensive multidisciplinary early intervention is required. So some of those interventions include physiotherapy, speech and language therapy, and occupational therapy, among other clinical disciplines. And learning about the treatments and strategies that work for other families can make a huge difference, but sometimes that information can be very hard to find at the beginning. Um, so Emma and, and the, the new diagnosis team have developed a section on our website, website that's kept up to date with all relevant information for those early years. Uh, one of the main focuses for the future is, is to develop a, a document that medics will have that will, I suppose, go through the next steps after diagnosis. So where the families go to to look for supports after diagnosis. Um, What's great about the, the, the new diagnosis site is that it's, it's manned by parents. So those parents know what, what they're going through, individuals are going through, they've been there themselves. Um, and they've worked on a lot of the same processes that, that to navigate those same processes that, that new families, new diagnosis families will look for. Um, on the site, there's, there's various different documents. There's a first step, a parent's guide to Prader-Willi syndrome that looks at insights and strategies for coping with PWS. Mm -hmm. There's some information about symptoms and treatments, um, and there's links to, some links to resources uh, to, to access support um, over the, the, the for, for the future um, of supporting your child with PWS. Um, bef just before Christmas, we were delighted, supposed to post out medical diaries to parents of children under four, and um, which will hopefully help them to keep track of all their children's information. And the the group have also posted out welcome and sensory packs to new families. Um, other information on that then is there's, there's a route map for parents and carers of children from, from not to five years old. And as I said, then hopefully this year we'll be able to develop some workshops, some in-person workshops uh, that we can link in with, with families, um, even at, on a one-to-one -one basis. Thank you, Gary. That's really great that um, we have so many resources for um, different ages as well. And I was wondering, um, how is it like for older parents whose child is PWS and as also for the child as they get older? Um, I suppose for, for older parents, one of the biggest concerns, I suppose, is, is anxiety about the future. You know, it, it, it tends to be present right across the lifespan. I mean, we've heard what Emma and Rory have said about, you know, the, the concerns they have um, from an early, an early stage about you know, even Rory kind of saying about, you know, being concerned about whether Henry would be just lying on the on the floor, would he be able to get up off the floor? So that concern is very real. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose it's it's especially prevalent, I suppose, that, uh, at, the on, at the onset of the increase of the PWS symptoms. So anywhere from eight to, to 13 or 14, when the hyperphagia or the, the appetite tends to, to increase, the interest in food increases. And then at other times, the transition. So the biggest transition, I suppose, for a lot of our people is, is that 17 to 18 years of age, where they transition from children's services to adult services, and it can be very, very difficult. So there has been a lot of fears expressed from families about their future inability to cope, uh, especially as, as access to respite has been very, very limited. In terms of the people with the adults then with Prader-Willi syndrome, there's not a huge amount known in fairness about older people with PWS, I suppose partly because in the past they, they very rarely reached older than 40 years of age. Um, but nowadays, I suppose with better management, they're living longer. Um, and there's a number of people in the PWS, PWS associations throughout the world who are over 50. In fact, we, 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 there's a published report of a woman um, 
in Germany, I think, who's lived till 74. Um, so, you know, the, the PWS community is, is learning about, um, about, about living older. Um, there has been a piece of research done in the last couple of years that, that, that says that the internal organs of, of, of a person with Prader-Willi syndrome tend to age more progressively than those in the general population. You know, and other things then related to the hypotonia will mean that mobility may become more difficult. Uh, there may be a decreasing decrease in stamina and sometimes motivation can, can, can go down. Um, our plan is to, this year, um, and thanks to, to, to one of our board members, is to set up a subcommittee to literally focus on the needs of older people with Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, and to look at how we support them and their families go, going into the future. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, and it's good to know that we have a PWS patient that has lived as long as 74 years. That's very, very good. And hopefully a lot of other patients will get to that state and even live longer. So do you know about any ongoing research in the field? And are there any that particularly excite you? Um, yeah, the, the, the Foundation for Prader-Willi Syndrome Research or Prader Willi Research in the US uh, run a number of different um, research programs, uh, particularly into hyperphagia, um, and to, to look for, for uh, I suppose it would have to be a medication or a drug that, that would help either reduce or eliminate the hyperphagia. Um, but there's two particular pieces of research that are closer to home that, that particularly excite me. There's one um, been uh, rolled out by the Trinity Autism and Neurodevelopmental Research Group led by Professor Louise Gallagher and Sarah Fien. And that looks at social cognition and reward processing in, in Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, so they've begun or they've, they've already recruited participants. And the idea is that they look at how social cognition is different in people with Prader-Willi syndrome and then how hyperphagia might affect some of the aspects of that so social cognition. Um, so that's ongoing at the moment, and we're looking forward to, to the results of that. The second piece of research that was really exciting, I suppose, from, from my point of view as well, was um, a piece of research that was done by a postgraduate student for her thesis uh, that profiled the mental well-being of siblings of individuals with Prader-Willi syndrome. And, you know, I, I suppose sometimes they can be, I, I won't say forgotten about, but sometimes they can be sidelined because the, the person with Prader-Willi syndrome uh, needs so much support. Um, so Saoirse Kavanagh, who's, as I said, is a postgraduate student in uh, applied psychology, um, has, in, has done both a qualitative and quantitative um, mixed survey to find out what the needs of those siblings are, and we're patiently waiting the results of that at the moment. Thank you very much. That's very great. So what do you think is the biggest limitation for this disorder in Ireland? Like, have you heard of any services in other countries that could be of benefit here as well? Um, I, I suppose for me, it's, it's and quite a number of our parents, it's, it's probably the, the lack of knowledge. Um, so, you know, a lack of knowledge across educational community care, medical day service and respite settings, but also even among HSE disability offices, offices or managers, and very often they're the ones that, that supply the funding for access to services. So, you know, from my point of view, it, it's essential then that um, that, that, that awareness is, is rolled out on a, on a national level to all the stakeholders, to anybody who, who offers supports to, to people with Prader-Willi syndrome. Um, but also linked to that, there's, there's you know, uh, I suppose a lot of our, our families would have experienced a lack of communication and coordination of care. 
um, you know, resulting in multiple visits to Dublin to to access uh, appointments with with their with with their different clinicians, um, or even sometimes in terms of of service providers, um, you know, lack of communication between service providers and families in terms of what what's good abroad. Um, I, I would be probably looking at something like um, centers of excellence. Um, I think centers of excellence is it, center of excellence is, is badly needed in this country, and that's where there's considerable experience and, and, and expertise. I mean, there's a lot of it in Ireland. Um, we we did a recent piece of research, and we reckon it's about 75 individual clinicians who who support people with Prader-Willi syndrome. So there's a huge amount of expertise. Um, across the country, but sometimes it's it's quite often disparate and, and not integrated, and may not be accessible then to all who, who might benefit from it. Um, so so the centres, you know, a centre of, of excellence would be designed, designated, and, and recognised by the HSE and the NCPPD. They may also be able to help help people with Prader-Willi syndrome and and their supporters to leverage funding uh, for for activities. Um, and the one example I would give is there's, a, there's a, an organization in, in Norway called Frambu. And Frambu is a center of excellence for all rare diseases. Um, I think they, they support 300 different rare diseases. And they collect and develop knowledge about those little and rare and little known, known diagnosis. Um, and they support then adults and children uh, with the diagnosis. And they, they also, I suppose, work as, as a a go-to place for clinicians who who may who may encounter someone with Prader Willi syndrome for the first time. Thank you, Gary, for um, letting us know what else can be done, and it, it would be really great to have this centre also. Um, and then Emma and Rory, what does the PD, P, PWS um, community need most currently, and what do you think would benefit rare diseases most? I suppose, uh, from my point of view, would be awareness across the board. And, and I don't just mean, you know, like awareness from people on the street, because obviously we do we do a lot of fundraising and, you know, asking people for money for a syndrome they've never heard of is obviously hard. But I, I mean more awareness across, you know, healthcare, educators, mental health supports, the decision makers, the policy makers and, and the government to understand that, you know, Prader-Willi syndrome is different uh, because of the uncontrollable drive for hunger. Uh, you know, if you're if you're to talk about um, you know, young adults going into a residential home in, in, in a mixed setting. It sometimes works, but at the same time, if the kitchen is locked for the protection of the person with Prader-Willi syndrome, and when I say protection, they also feel reassured because it's locked. It's not then fair for the other uh, people in the house that don't have food issues. So it doesn't work in that sense. And I suppose, you know, what, what Gary has spoken there about and our work with the NCPBD, you know, trying people, trying to get people to understand that there are certain elements of Prader-Willi syndrome that are different and need to be treated different uh, in order, um, as we said, to uh, improve the uh, length of life for, for adults with Prader-Willi syndrome. And I think it would be hugely, hugely beneficial for all uh, parents of people with Prader-Willi syndrome that there is Prader-Willi syndrome specific training for teachers and SNAs because PWS is so rare. You can't really, like there are, you know, there is a toolkit and, you know, that toolkit can work with, you know, other different disabilities. But sometimes with PW, you just need it to be very specific. And I think that would be hugely, hugely benefit. Like with Henry, 
his his school are brilliant and if you know if anyone asked me oh do you know of a school that would be really great managing Prader Willi syndrome I'd be like oh move move closer to us I know a really great school but that's not the case and Ireland is widespread and there's so you know Prader Willi so rare that there's only you know Henry school will probably never see another child with Prader Willi syndrome but to have specific training for teachers and SNAs I think would be immensely beneficial for, for Ireland. Definitely. That's really good that Henry's school are so great as well. Just in saying that, you know, it took a lot of work, possibly I would say two, if not three years to get them into that position of understanding Prader-Willi syndrome. And, you know, that was obviously a lot of work from ourselves and, you know, showing them information from, uh, you know, the PWSAI and then obviously involving a psychologist, you know, on Henry's needs and also their, I suppose, expectations of Henry because he's not in the same level of his peers and, and it took a bit of work for them to realize that that the only thing we currently want for Henry is that he's happy going to school and he's reaching his potential and if his potential is different to everybody else that's still okay. That's great yeah and it, it's definitely clear a lot more awareness is needed for all um, not just the general public but even um, healthcare professionals as well so thank you for for raising all those issues. Um, I was also reading that um, as of January 1st um, it was approved that five major Irish hospitals um, were joining the European reference networks on rare diseases um, and this is a good step in improving the treatment of those with rare diseases in Ireland. Um, furthermore, approximately 4% of the population is affected by rare disease. So yes, these diseases are rare but collectively common. Um, it's essential to raise awareness of rare diseases for screening and early detection. Um, if you need support, please contact PWSAI or Rare Disease Ireland. Um, May will be PWS Awareness Month. Then later in July, PWSAI will host the International Prader Willi Syndrome Organisation Conference in Limerick. And I'd like to thank, thank you Emma and Rory and Gary for joining us today and for sharing your story with us um, and for all the work that you do. And thank you also to my co-host Alighton for hosting me with me today. Thank you very much. Thank you.